All right. Hi, CAA. My name is Sunny Spillane. I am an associate professor of art education at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And this is my very first recording for the CAA Conversations podcast. I'm very excited to have with me two colleagues from the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. My guests today are Lisa Paluai. Lisa is an artist, educator, and scholar focused on issues of inclusion, equity, and justice. She is Dean of the Office of Justice, Equity, and Transformation at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. I also have Beth Bolero. Beth is an artist and scholar whose works seeks to uncover the many ways that social exchange is mired in concerns of race, class, gender, and power. She is an associate professor of education at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. I invited Beth and Lisa to join me on this podcast today after meeting them at NAEA, that's the National Art Education Association Conference, earlier this spring in 2019 when they were doing a presentation with several of their colleagues at MassArt on their efforts to recruit and retain students of color at their institution. So without further ado, here are Beth and Lisa. <laughs> Welcome to the conversation. Thank, Thank you so you. much. I wanted to start um, by sharing something with Lisa that I <laughs> encountered yesterday. Mm. So one of the long-term conversations that Lisa and I have had a chance to share over many years of, um, of partnership is how we at MassArt as a state college reflect uh, the demographics of our state and particularly the city in which we're situated. Um, and there are some wonderful examples, including our alma mater, University of Massachusetts in Boston, um, which does reflect a beautiful spectrum of demographics um, and certainly some of the urban community colleges do so as well. So yesterday I brought a group of students to an exhibition um, at Bunker Hill Community College. And I um, was in the cafeteria there with our students and was looking across the um, cafeteria at who the students were, how many languages were being spoken, who the um, professors seemed to be, um, and I was just extremely moved by the slice of life that that institution presented. Um, and then I came back to our campus. And when I started at MassArt over a decade ago, I would have, if it were then, I probably would have come and had a sunken heart looking across our campus. But actually, yesterday, it looked very similar to what I had encountered at Bunker Hill for the very first time. And I was just so moved at institutional change in a small amount of time because of the leadership of people like Lisa and a whole team of folks that have been doing this work for a very long time. Um, and it just seemed like we are living a beautiful watershed moment where we are becoming what we should be and what our mission um, entitled us to be. And it was alarming. I was ready to have that feeling of being disheartened and thinking mass art needs to be more like this. And actually, when I came back on campus, I thought, we're doing the work. We're arriving. We're getting to this place where we can actually feel like we're an accessible, democratic, um, open-doored 
city is our home institution. It was stunning. So I don't know if you've seen similar moments of watershed like that, Lisa. Mm. What's your read on the moment? Where I feel like we are now, um, and Sunny, just to let you know, and Beth, I don't know if you've even seen it, it just went up um, yesterday. Um, we just came through a strategic plan and our mission and values were put up on the wall. <clears throat> and our mission, you know, as a public independent college of art and design, which is the first in the country, um, essentially is our mission. And then our values of, um, I don't have the words right in front of me, that are really, you know, the, the words I love in our values are about making and remaking Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, creating an inclusive environment for art and designers, essentially kind of talking about our values. And I was with uh, a colleague and their research was on kind of the corporatization of higher ed and this branding, quote unquote, of higher ed. But then as I walked by that wall, I'm like, I'm actually OK being branded that, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like I was mm -hmm. act I'm like, yeah. Let's, you know, do more of it. Let's put it on T-shirts. Let's mm -hmm. put it on coffee mm -hmm. mugs. Like we should mm -hmm. actually be communicating. Um, you know, I think those institutions, as, as Beth is saying, that are that are really their strategic plan, mission values. Sure, we always have a long way to go, um, but we're walking the walk in very meaningful ways. And I think it is because of our mission as a public art institution, the only one in the country, um, that has focused people who want to be working here and going here, um, <clears throat> you know, for very particular reasons. So I, I think that, you know, MassArt is really uniquely positioned in this moment to um, make and remake. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, anyway, I, th I, I hope mm -hmm. I kind of heard mm -hmm. most of the essence of what you were saying earlier, mm -hmm. Beth, but... Um, they're beautiful up on the mm -hmm. wall. Brand. Mm -hmm. I'm okay branding that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm okay behind that brand. So, mm -hmm. you know, and then our next challenge, like with anything, is how these words, and I, and I talk about that a lot in our, in this new office that's, you know, in some ways very audaciously called Justice, Equity, and Transformation. Like, that's a lot to have next to your name. <laughs> So, so, you know, I feel the weight of that, but I do feel that, um, you know, MassArt is investing as an institution with people that are really um, committed uh, mm -hmm. to this work and their being. Um, and we're all at varying levels of development and, in, and evolving into this conversation. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, building on that um, idea of investing in people that are committed to this vision, and I would add whose work um, extends the conversation into the realm of art making, um, the, the folks that have been recently hired are so um, motivating to me. Just the, um, the complexity of the conversation, how it is not just, uh, there aren't just a few folks in the corner <laughs> broaching these really provocative topics, but rather what is, I would say, um, marginalized in the larger arts community is becoming centralized on campus. 
And that is extremely exciting to me. So um, I see that in who we have hired um, as colleagues. I see that in the kinds of students we have recruited and have included in our community. I see that in new leadership, um, such as your position, our new provost, Chandra Mendez-Ortiz um, being uh, elevated to a higher uh, sort of bird's eye view of youth programs with a lens on equity. So I think for many years, we've been trying to get the gears going to extend the conversation. And now we really are in a place of action. And um, I always default to action to the frustration of some of my colleagues. Right? I want to see it happen. I don't really want to talk about it. I want to do about it. Uh, it's just stylistic. But um, so maybe that's why I'm finding it so gratifying to be around very different tables and to, um, as a white person doing work uh, in race, to feel in some small spaces like I am the um, minority in the conversation, if you will. That hasn't happened on Matt. That's happened to me throughout my career, but very rarely on Mass Arts campus. And to me, that's a beautiful uh, transition where um, the voices of folks who have been marginalized can speak for themselves because they are not um, in such small representations that there can actually be a more critical mass. Now, certainly there's more work to be done. Um, certainly we have hired, in some cases, with equity in mind and not in others. So I'm very aware of the arc of progress and how this is a baby step. But I will say um, I can I find it palpable, this baby step, as a beautiful um, kind of moment of change. And I find it's really exciting. I, I have never been more happy to go to work. And I've never had I've never felt more promise um, at our institution's capacity to be, again, the school we were intended to be and have our mission reflect our practice. And again, not to say there's not profound work to be done, but I feel like folks don't have to do the work and feel lonely in it, uh, which I think has been the climate in the past. Right. So. I have a question. So when I met you both at NAEA earlier this spring, you and your colleagues were talking about, you know, cumulative efforts that you had made to move toward justice, equity and transformation at MassArt. And some of those initiatives related to recruiting and retaining students of color and well, I think that was, as I recall, I think that was the main focus of that presentation. Mm -hmm. But as I listened to you both talk about your work and about the changes in your institution, you're not just talking about one single dimension of effort towards equity and justice. You're talking about a range of efforts from in many different areas of the institution and in many different uh, areas of faculty recruitment, of uh, student recruitment. And um, I haven't heard you mention it, but I'm, I'm wondering about curricular transformation mm -hmm. at your institution as well. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you could share a little bit about what some of those different efforts have been and maybe share about some of the folks who've been leading those. And what have each of, what, what efforts have each of you been involved with in relation there? Mm -hmm. 
Can I um, actually um, explain this a little bit oh, yeah, in, totally. in talking about, and I'm going to kind of use a metaphor uh, that has helped me, um, you know, visualize and kind of uh, frame the work that we're doing. So I feel like we are rebuilding a historic building, right? And there are parts of that kind of structure that need to come down. There's a wall that's really, uh, it's not doing its job anymore. There's perhaps a foundation that's okay, but uh, there's parts of it that that need to be re-envisioned. Like we actually can't add another room until we build more foundation. There are parts Mm -hmm. of this historic structure that we can't take down because it's part of our legacy and we can actually probably never take down. So um, I think just as, you know, very broadly, those are the conversations that we're having because we are in a structure that's inherently flawed, right? Many, uh, at least at MassArt, we still have uh, Western art history as the, um, the, only required art history class. So, you know, very basically that that has been a legacy that I know, you know, there's many, a lot of students have been uh, concerned about that. A lot of faculty have been concerned about that. So, um, you know, going to the curricular piece, I think that's the one that always comes up. Mm -hmm. You know, why is that so? Um, So, I think that, and then if I can pull up a little bit even more in administratively, as we're, if we're thinking about justice and equity, how does that play out in our decision making, right? In our committees that are brought together, or who's even appointed on those committees? Again, higher ed, not just art and design, we're in a very hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about these principles, um, and these are the conversations that we're having, some areas a little more easily than others, um, but there are conversations that that we need to have. You know, you, you, um, even as far as how committees are made up, um, mm-hmm. who is called to the meeting and why? Is everybody around the table? What kind of table do we have um, mm-hmm. that we're sitting around? If we have a table, so. Um, so I just wanted to kind of offer that frame in, in a way that um, I think that we're grappling with is that we are challenged with just the legacy of our history as an art and design institution that comes with its comes with its flaws. Right. But um, I think we need to understand, like we hear in conversations about our country, kind of where we've come from, you know, how we can learn from that. Um, so. <clears throat> Beth, I don't know if you want yeah, to actually get to it more specifics, but I, I just wanted yeah. to offer that's a frame that has helped me kind of, you know, try to think about, OK, what is it that we're doing here and, and how yeah. can we think about it in a way that. Um, what, that, that yeah. might be cool. Yep. I think there's a great working metaphor for it's actually also a very literal truth as we're renovating buildings (laughs) so (laughs) having an office in a building that just went through two years of something and looks exactly the same (laughs) I'm sure that works and there's fewer mice but but I think it's a very literal metaphor um 
but the, to the piece around, I think there's ways that pedagogy, um, to Sunny's question particularly, um, is also a form of architecture. And so when we think about the slow, I would argue, I think Lisa was just alluding to this as well, I think the slowest place for movement has been pedagogy. And um, it is so entrenched in this hierarchical structure that Lisa's talking about. Um, and it is so much about power that it has been in some cases supplanted by individuals who may have less concerns regarding their own position of authority and expertise and um, security, frankly. Um, so there are new folks around the table, then that's where I find optimism in this category of pedagogy. But it really has been the, the stronghold for white supremacy. And I think that's probably true across institutions. Um, it is a it is the space where I think students are most deeply demoralized. Um, and it's the place where the work is going to be the most critical. And I know people have been working on methods and strategies to chip away at this profoundly um, galvanized force, but it's really hard going. And when you see, so so this is why, you know, um, Sunny, you asked about the issue around recruitment and retention of students of color. And that is where we were holding a lot of the conversation and still do um, with a new dean of admissions and enrollment management. Christopher Wright has um, very much caused, um, I would say, a small transformation of um, who we recruit and why. And uh, we went to being a test free admissions process, which was a great equalizer because many of us understand standardized testing to be a racialized um, barrier. So there are many strategies that have taken place to, to, in many cases, open up for whom we exist and who we welcome into our, into our doors. But what was happening and what continues to happen is um, there is not really a place uh, for, we're not always setting up those very same students for success because of the strength and force of white supremacy in pedagogy. And so there's very concrete examples of this. Um, and when I had the um, pleasure of working with a student and producing a video testimonial project, one of the young women um, who was speaking about racial microaggressions, which micro is really not the appropriate language, um, talked about how she didn't feel safe in her critique sessions and how she really didn't feel humanized. So I was showing this um, testimonial to some colleagues and one of my colleagues who works in our Center for Art and Community Partnerships had personally recruited this young woman. And um, it was so painful for her because she felt a sense of responsibility having brought this young woman in and then not having felt comfortable that she was in a safe space. And this student eventually left the college. So I think um, we have to proceed with caution 
of um, the stages of um, transformation toward equity. And um, again, pedagogy has been the, the toughest nut to crack. So we may have um, greater success in terms of recruitment and retention, or, or at least enrollment. We, we don't know yet about retention, I would say. Lisa, you may have more of an updated um, sense of that. But we certainly do know about recruitment and enrollment. Right. But what happens on our campus, on our watch? And um, what are the ethics of that? And um, yeah. what is the urgency? Uh, right. And I think a lot of the work um, that Lisa is doing, that Compass is doing, is to try to safeguard the risks that students are taking the emotional, artistic risks um, at the mercy of their faculty, some of whom are phenomenally attuned and some of whom are phenomenally not attuned. <laughs> and um, so pedagogy to me is, that is the, um, the great barrier and the place where we need to do some work. Uh, it's really difficult. One initiative that I am currently uh, taking on isn't so much about racial equity, although there is an uh, um, intersection there, but it's around um, disability and inclusion. And I was reflecting on this. Why am I so interested in this particular um, possibility for mass art to be more inclusive? In this case, uh, <laughs> with severe intellectual disabilities. And I realized that Part of my motivation and something that will be institutionally possible is to open up the conversation around pedagogy. Mm -hmm. So universal design, um, kind of forcing the hand of uh, understanding the exchange of education to be a two-way street and one that is responsive. So, so I'm really excited to see how this might inform the conversation around um, pedagogy and teaching for all. Wow. So um, I have a few things I can add to that, if if that's okay. And I think it, you know, there, there's such important um, couple of things that Beth touched on that I feel like um, are so so important to happen simultaneously. So these. Um, Initiatives around retention, particularly for students of color of underrepresented groups, I can talk a little bit about that, as well as the development of faculty, professional development for faculty. So the, this off, our new office is working very closely with academic affairs to understand where are the needs for development, as Beth is, as described for faculty, but they're also kind of in um, exploration of this. We have blind spots. And um, I think there are ways to get to understand what those blind spots might be. Um, you know, you can send people to a workshop, professional development, about the things that you want them to know. But a lot of this is really about relationship building. Right. These are these where the movement really happens is when colleagues can sit down together and say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this. And so I'm working very closely with academic affairs to give faculty opportunities to get to know each other more as colleagues, have spaces for learning exploration in a way that is um, 
you know, not in the classroom, right? The students should be not, not be the ones, as we have heard over and over again, in different places to be teaching, quote unquote, or their faculty. So there's one uh, workshop we're doing at the end of the month with um, STU Foundation faculty, as well as some liberal arts faculty in a Making Being workshop uh, focused around the work of Caroline Willard and uh, Susan Jehoda. So, and that's focused around critique. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and then kind of the simultaneous initiatives that are happening, Beth mentioned the Compass program, which is a mentoring program for first generation Massachusetts public school students at MassArt. And uh, we have expanded that program through to graduation um, and it had been for many, many years just a first year retention program. Um, there are many, there are colleges that have this kind of model just in the first year or at, uh, there's a program, Posse is, is kind of similar to that, but our focus particularly is for uh, Massachusetts public school students. So um, another area, and this is what I was just, um, I think I shared earlier, uh, we are working with student leaders in this new office. So we have uh, just hired three student leaders who are really interested in uh, moving forward um, support and um, thinking about the development and well-being of other students, particularly um, students of color and other represented groups. So I f these are simultaneous things that need to happen that I think that are simultaneously happening at MassArt. Um, and it's, um, I had shared some of our vision for our strategic plan and particularly the JET office with one of a dear colleague. And she looked at the plan. She said, you know, this is 30 years this is going to take you 30 years to kind of, and I'm like, oh, thanks, thanks. Just wanted to pace ourselves. So, and actually, that's a, good, that's a good thing to think about, though, too, right? Like those of us that are in our in this work is um, to pace ourselves in this work. There is a sense of urgency, um, but I, I think, um, and what I think Beth is is mentioning, that we have found a community here that is really, um, you know, found each other and continuing to get to know each other in this work. Um, so it's, it's a lot easier when you have, you know, fellow colleagues and friends to um, partner, really, mm -hmm. and not feel alone. So. Wow. <laughs> so this has been an incredible conversation and as you've been speaking I've taken a few notes of either comments you've made or statements that seem really powerful Lisa you talked at the beginning of our conversation about the new slogan or the new philosophy at mass art of making and remaking and a similar phrase that I heard recently from one of my students was learning and unlearning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as you've been speaking, I've been thinking about that relationship of making and unmaking, especially in relation to your metaphor of uh, the institution and institutional racism as architecture. Mm. 
I wonder if you could reflect on that. <laughs> yes. Um, so when I had, you know, mentioned this, um, you know, the off uh, the, the the words right, justice, equity, and transformation, the the, the title of this office, and um, this idea of of making unmaking. Um, Beth and I were part of a, a conversation, a panel conversation, um, I think last spring, where, um, you know, we were really thinking about that in our efforts at an art college um, in, a, in a creative space where I feel less audacious about this idea of transformation with framed within justice and equity at an art college because we are every day transforming a blank piece of paper, pixels on a screen, ideas into a performance. It's actually what we do, right? And I think that, you know, then, you know, being framed within this, um, these principles of justice and equity, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an extension of our studio. So I was going to mention when Beth and I were on this panel, we, we purposely wore aprons. Right. We're in a space of making or a space of, as you say, unmaking. Um, so and, and that's where I feel like we're uniquely positioned. And we I think. Um, and like we do right as we turn things around in our studio, as we continue to look at different perspectives, I think the the. Um, you know, the project of justice is to be able to do that, right? Is to be able to turn something upside down and and kind of consider it from that way in, in a way that I, I, I don't know what that's like. But 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 as an artist and as, as even um, an audience of that art, it changes you, right? I think about our, our, our position as, you know, the studio is such a sacred place and I feel like, um, you know, an art college that is housing that that sacred space has a particular responsibility. Mm -hmm. And um, and then as educators within that institution, you know, there's a particular weight that I feel I have because of the, you know, uniqueness and and real, um, you know, uh, stewarding, cultivating imagination and creativity. So, um, not sure if I'm answering your yeah. question or, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, when I hear your reflections, I'm thinking about, I mean, what a powerful metaphor the studio is for this project of justice and transformation where we are always as artists either starting from scratch or taking ideas and materials and structures that exist in the world and we're constantly making and remaking them. Beth, one thing that when you talked about pedagogy, some really powerful statements that resonated very powerfully for me. 
this podcast series is focused on pedagogy, is intended to highlight issues related to pedagogy. And it's very interesting that you discuss pedagogy as the slowest place for movement in relation to justice and transformation. And in and in fact, described pedagogy as the stronghold for white supremacy in college art pedagogy. Damn, that's powerful. And I, mean, I think it's it's hard to um, unsee the damage that can be done. So, you know, when Lisa's talking about the sacred space of the studio um, and how intimate that space is and how vulnerable art students need to be in order to actually develop their work as they deserve to do. Um, it's hard to unsee the damage that can be done. Um, and I agree with Lisa that the, the weight of responsibility to, um, again, safeguard the inti intimacy of that space. I mean, what we do, uh, not that it can be essentialized, but I feel like what really strong college art educators do is get students to be their best selves. I actually think that's true of any educator is that it's a, you know, critical pedagogy talks about um, not banking and not putting in what you know and finger, you know, putting your imprint on your students, but rather having students become their best selves. They're um, having them actualize on their terms. To me, that's the goal of pedagogy. If, if the goal of pedagogy is to have students actualize on our terms, our meaning um, the professor, the white establishment, um, the canon, then students, um, then there can only be an act of dehumanization. So it's hard to unsee that. And I think that, um, you know, I really do stand by that pedagogy really is the place where uh, the rubber hits the road. And um, the only place I've really seen, I, I appreciate, and I think there's really no other strategy um, for folks that are taxed with kind of holding the faculty accountable. Uh, there's no other strategy than carefully attuned professional development and experiences like those Lisa's describing, um, affinity groups, uh, just coming at all angles, you know, over like 30 years worth of <laughs> trying yeah. to move the needle. Mm -hmm. um, but what I have seen and I was alluding to earlier to be even more effective is a shift of who's around the table. Mm -hmm. So, you know, frankly, the old guard might just need to transition. Maybe that will be the watershed. Um, and I don't mean old in terms of age. I mean old in terms of belief system. Mm -hmm. And um, when I'm around a table with new colleagues who are mentoring me and my pedagogy, I think, oh, this is where it's going to change. This is where it's going to happen. It's not going to be 30 years. It's like already already in the past. Right. So mm -hmm. I think cultural cultural shifts will happen when students can actually um, find affinity trust the safeguarding of their sacred space and their 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 sacred processes that to me those are the goals mm. 
well, I don't really know what else there is to say besides that. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'll also add, let me just add one other piece. I mean, I feel like, and uh, you all may have thoughts about this, but I, but I also, I feel like some of this work has been done for generations in other domains, in the humanities and the social sciences. And that ironically, we, the folks that deal with culture, are late to the game. And I find that really shocking, but I think it's very much true in terms of pedagogy. Certainly the art world is not late to the game. I mean, the art world, if we take the art world as our sounding board, um, we in art colleges just need to catch up. But in terms of pedagogy, I feel like our domain has been really slow. And you can see that um, in the National Art Education Association, for example, um, looking now at K-12 and, and how can we mirror what's happening in contemporary practice in our schools and community centers with more grace. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think that we are... We're about at time, approximate mm -hmm. time for wrapping up our conversation. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add? You know, I, I think I do. I, I feel like we could talk for a couple more hours Absolutely. about this. And, um, you know, you know, thank you for, for giving us a space to, to do this. And, the, you know, the thing that I, I just wanted to add around this um, conversation about pedagogy is that faculty need institutional support for this development. Like, I don't think that we can expect it to change overnight if we're not giving faculty support that they need. I think that there are also people that are teaching that are recognizing the and acknowledging that they need help. But we mm -hmm. haven't, as I think in, in uh, some of the research that we've done, these, you know, often in our art um, studio classes, people are coming up through MFA programs that are still part of this historic le legacy of Eurocentricness or um, institutionalized racism. So we can't expect that to change mm -hmm. if the, the ways that, artists, uh, teaching artists are getting, are educated, are coming up also through flawed systems. And then mm -hmm. we expect them to kind of, okay, now you're, you know, but that's, it's not going to work that way. I, in my research, have been looking at other models outside of this country, frankly, in Canada. I think there's been some really interesting work happening in the ACAT schools in Canada and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, so our models of where we may be looking for some um, you know, kind of next steps maybe in those institutions. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, just to, just to note that. And, you know, if if art and design um, institutions really do want to move that needle and respond in a contemporary way that faculty need support, you know, financial as well as perhaps that leadership to um, open up conversations that haven't maybe happened yet. So, mm -hmm. Lisa, I totally agree with what you just said. And, and what gives me some hope in that area is that when I have met colleagues in places like 
the FATE conference or the CCAC conference and have talked about whiteness in college art pedagogy, which I often do starting from a place of, you know, frankly discussing my own whiteness and complicity in, you know, white systems of oppression and my process of racial learning and growth in relation to my work as an art educator. And I have found a tremendous number of people who are really, really interested in their own growth and development, who recognize Mm -hmm. that there's a lot that they don't know, who recognize the need for growth in their pedagogy and who are searching for connections for that community of colleagues that you both discussed, those relationships of support and also the the resources of support either from their institutions or from their professional organizations to develop these skill sets and to change these mindsets. Mm -hmm. I think you're totally right on. And I want to thank you, Sunny, for pulling us together to have a conversation. And I think as you continue to build these networks of people that are invested, it's really important that people stay connected because, again, this work can be very lonely work. I do feel like there is a momentum growing. And um, so that's the catalyst for change is that we build momentum. So thanks for pulling us together. Oh, thanks so much for agreeing to do this with me <laughs> and to do this together. This is amazing. All right. I, All right. I think maybe we can. Can we end it there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Right. Okay. Okay. Great. All thanks right. So Thank much. you so much. Thank Beth, you, Sunny. Lisa.